You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is a Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have part two of the top 10 shortstop prospects in baseball. I'm going to be going through prospects six through 10, and I'm really excited to go through these prospects as well. If you missed part one, definitely go check that out as well. I talked about some of the most exciting prospects, period, in baseball with guys like Bobby Witt Jr., Marco Luciano, Anthony Volpe. It's just a loaded, loaded position as always because it's such an important spot. But if you look at the major league level too, it's become a position that it used to be offense was a premium, a little bit at least, where you were looking at the position and it's like, okay, everybody can pick it a little bit, but if you can swing it, that is a huge, huge plus. Now everybody at the shortstop position can just absolutely swing it. And the catching spot, as always, is the one spot that just has not caught up in terms of offense. And I'm interested to see... If that changes a little bit eventually as well, I think that's always going to be the hardest position to find offense given the uh, demanding nature of the defensive side of catching. But if you look at the top prospects, there are a ton of good catching prospects right now in baseball. And I'll get to the top 10 catching prospects in a while. I realize I haven't done that in a long time. Maybe a year ago, I gave my top five catching prospects. And that's when I really started uh, gassing up Gabriel Moreno and He's done nothing but rise up the rankings too, but when I made my top 100 list for JustBaseball.com, there were 11 catchers, if I'm not mistaken, on that list. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, for the catching position. But we're talking about shortstops today. And in this back half of the top 10, we have a lot of the recent draft picks and then a couple guys sprinkled in. I teased O'Neal Cruz, who is number six on the list and who I'm going to start with here on the second half of the top 10. And Cruz has some of the most impressive raw power, not only in the minor leagues. Well, he also broke into the big leagues for a cup of coffee last year. But he has the type of power that puts him in the conversation really with only Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge, if we're talking about exit velocities, which is a huge component of power, of course, right? How hard you hit the ball. And he seems to get easy carry and launch on the ball as well. I mean, he hit a ball. A home run, mind you, 120 miles per hour last year. That would be, if it was at the major league level, the fourth hardest hit home run of the StatCast era. That is insane. The only other three harder hit balls were Giancarlo Stanton twice and Aaron Judge once. So that kind of shows you where O'Neill Cruz is at power-wise. He's a 6'7 shortstop, which I'll get into that in a little bit because that that side of things just gives me a headache. But when we're talking about his bat, this is why I really like him as a prospect. Of course, if he has to move to another position, he has to move to another position. But when you have 80-grade raw power and you're in the conversation exit velo-wise with Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge, there's a lot to be excited about with his offensive profile. The other part of it, too, is that he actually doesn't have that much swing and miss in his game, which is pretty crazy given the fact that he has such long limbs. It's really hard to stay 
short to the ball and catch up to Velo when you are so tall and have such a long wingspan. I mean, he looks like a power forward, uh, but he actually is able to stay really short, really compact to the baseball. And we saw that last year. His strikeout rate was in the low 20% range. Batting average at the 300 mark, he's just making a lot of contact, especially for a guy with his kind of power. I'd like to see him start to get the ball in the air a little bit more. But I also think part of the reason why his ground ball rate is slightly high, it's not dramatically high, it's just a little bit above average for somebody that has the kind of power that he has right around the 47% range, if I'm not mistaken, uh, last season. I'd like to see him get the ball in the air just a bit more because of the exit velos he produces. I mean, with that kind of power, he can miss hit baseballs that get out of the yard, kind of like what I talk about with Mark Vientos. Vientos gets the ball in the air really easily, and he's able to go foul pole to foul pole with home runs that sometimes he misses under that get out. That's a prolific amount of power that you can't really teach. O'Neill Cruz has that. And I think the reason why he has been a little bit more geared to contact is because he doesn't want to be a big swing and miss guy. I'm sure that's something that's been hammered in his head when you are a six foot seven shortstop that has a lot of tools too. I mean, he's an above average runner right now, even puts up plus times uh, when it comes to getting to first base, getting down the line. There's a perception that he will probably slow down given his, you know, just body in general, and he probably will put on some more weight. But if, if he puts on more weight he might have even more power he might end up having the most power in major league baseball which is insane to say but if he put up 120 mile per hour exit velos and many less plate appearances last year uh, than some of the other guys in the major leagues that were able to top that I say some of the other guys it's two guys you can imagine what he could do on a full season at the big league level with baseballs that just come off the bat a little bit harder and higher velos there as well he was able to handle the good velo and he was also able to handle lefties in fact he actually had reverse splits, which I'm happy with because it's not like he didn't hit righties. Lefties, he absolutely destroyed. 326, 370, 570 slash line. And then against righties, he was a little bit below that. 280, 353, 550 slash line. So 903 OPS on that side of things as well. I'm happy to just see him able to hit lefties again because when you have such long legs and a lot of body to control, it is really hard to keep your front hip on the ball when you have tough lefties coming at you. But O'Neill Cruz was able to do that even at the big league level when we saw him for a short stint. I liked his ABs against lefties. I think he had one where I was like, oop, that was a bad swing. But it was because he was facing a really funky lefty reliever. I don't remember who. And it was kind of that welcome to the major leagues type of thing. Cruz really found what works for him in his load and a way to stay short. And he repeats his movements so well that I'm expecting this guy to be able to hit. The question is, can a six foot seven player stick at shortstop? And guess what? I don't even know how to answer that. I'll be honest. I have no idea how to answer that because we've never seen that. And I watch him move out there. He moves pretty well. So, I mean, it's worth a shot. When, when Every time I've seen him, I haven't seen a guy that I'm like, oh man, he, he can't be there. He can't play shortstop. Like he looks fine. He's got the big arm to make up for maybe a little bit of lack of quick feet, but once he gets going, he can move. So those balls deep in the hole, I still think the footwork is good enough, especially with his arm strength. It's more so, I guess, as he ages, is that where you want him to be? The wear and tear at shortstop, or would it be better off putting him in a corner outfield spot? We know how fast he is and how well he's able to move. He obviously has the power profile. That might not be the worst idea to move him out there, especially if Leover Paguero is somebody that the uh, Pirates are really excited about 
obviously he's going to be a little bit further behind. So Cruz is going to get the reps at shortstop. I just think maybe down the line, it might make more sense to move him to a corner. But if he's picking it at shortstop and he's not a liability there, then why move him? And I think we have to see how he's going to do this year. He's obviously big league ready. Uh, Hopefully he'll be up there to start the season next year. And we'll get to see some more big league reps out there and get some more big league data on his range and uh, the more details because he's one of those guys that's really hard to eyeball when it comes to the defensive things because he just doesn't move like a normal person. Uh, So it's kind of tough to judge him against some of the other shortstops out there. But the next guy that's coming up here on this list is somebody that I know can stick at shortstop and I love everything I've seen so far from the way he moves at the position. It's Jordan Waller who's actually my number one shortstop prospect from the draft and I know Marcelo Mayer was perceived to be the potential number one overall pick. I know a lot of people had him as the number one overall prospect, and he may be the higher floor bat. However, I think Lawler has more defensive prowess there. He is a better runner. I think there's potentially more raw power there as well. Uh, and, And I just think that he's more dynamic of a prospect with less pressure on the bat. I really believe in Marcelo Mayer's bat, but at the end of the day, he's 18 years old with above average power and probably below average speed and an average to above average glove, depending on who you ask. I think he's got an above average glove. So there's more pressure on that bat. When you look at Jordan Lawler, who I still really like the bat, he's a plus runner. He's a plus defender. uh, And he's got, I think, a little bit more raw power in the tank. And he's still a very solid already in terms of polished prospect uh, for his age at the plate. Mayer's a year younger. Uh, which I think is a big reason why uh, teams really liked him. And sometimes I think we get really caught up with the age. I know that the data would back it up if you're a year younger in the draft. Those guys tend to pan out a bit more frequently. But in this case, I think both are going to pan out. But I like the five-tool potential of Jordan Lawler. I just think that type of shortstop is what people are looking for nowadays, that Bobby Witt type. And there are some similarities to Bobby Witt. I I don't think he's going to have that kind of offensive prowess, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that he is a really impact bat. I think that Lawler has a really good swing, too. Mayer has probably one of the prettier swings you're going to see in the draft, him and Khalil Watson. Uh, But when you look at what Lawler does, I mean, he's got explosive swing. He controls his lower half well already for somebody with his kind of uh, pop and athleticism. I think that he has all of the makings to rise through the minors quickly, that five-tool potential, a plus runner. I see plus raw power potentially. I know some are closer to the 55 grade. I can see 60 raw power there with his twitchy athleticism and a better field to hit than I think people give him credit for. Lawler, I'm really excited to see play, hopefully right away next year. I know he had a little bit of a shoulder injury uh, after just a couple games uh, following the draft in his debut with the D-backs, but a really good prospect there who I am very eager to see play next year. Obviously, number eight is the guy that I talked about a little bit as well in Marcelo Mayer, and he is fantastic still. He is going to be a very good hitter. I give him a potential plus hit tool. Obviously, it's not plus yet, but future value plus on the hit tool, whereas Lawler's more in the 50 to 55 range. I can easily say that, you know, Mayer's got a 60 in the tank there with his approach and with his swing. He's got one of the sweet, prettier swings that you're going to see from a player at 18 years old. He can drive the ball to all fields. He seems to have a pretty comfortable approach for an 18-year-old. And 
and 26 games, I think we got a little bit of a taste of that at the complex from him where you could see the power. He hit for three home runs in 26 games and you could see pull side power. He doesn't quite have that all fields pop yet, but remember, he's still 6'3", 188 pounds. I think there's some more room to fill out. He just turned 18 as well, so he's going to get a little bit more of that natural strength uh, as he matures. Not the fleetest of foot, but he does have smooth actions and good footwork at shortstop, which is more important than, you know, his just line-to-line speed. I still think that Marcelo Mayer is going to be more of that offensive-minded shortstop, somebody that can hit 20 home runs, maybe 25 because he hits so frequently, uh, but high average, pretty high on base, and solid defense. And that's somebody that, at the best-case scenario, you're really happy with that. I just think that... If he isn't quite able to reach that offensive ceiling and he's more of a 275, 15 home run guy, uh, the lack of tools on the other side uh, in terms of not having the speed and uh, not being uh, an elite defender, I think more closer to just an above average defender, kind of tempers the ceiling a little bit where Lawler also has all of the other facets of his game where he can impact it. But I really like Mayer's swing. If he develops more power, which we we have to wait and see, right? It's, It's really hard to be able to cap what kind of potential power he can have. If there is 30 home run power in the tank there, which I don't think is outside the realm of possibility, his field to hit and approach uh, will give him a really good chance to be an impact shortstop. So eager to see how he continues to mature and advance through the minor leagues. I'm going to get to prospects 9 and 10 on this top 10 shortstop list in just a moment. Uh, Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all football and basketball action this season. Head to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word locked on to receive your bonus from football, basketball, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. So let's talk about number nine here, and it's unfair, it really is, but the Yankees have another prospect, another shortstop prospect on this list, and it's Oswald Peraza. And it's funny because I actually was just doing some mock trades on the Just Baseball show, uh, the other podcast that I co-host with my co-founder at JustBaseball.com as well as minor league play-by-play voice Jack McMullen. Uh, And we always are talking big league stuff, but now we added a prospect episode on Wednesdays and we were just talking a little bit about uh, some mock trades. And I made a mock trade to send uh, a group of Yankees prospects over to Oakland uh, for Matt Olson. And I know that makes people upset, but the Yankees have the prospects to do it without even parting with Jason Dominguez or Anthony Volpe. They could really go get a star player without parting with their two top prospects. And I actually wrote up a whole article on JustBaseball.com doing some mock trades. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Who knows if any of those are realistic, but it's a fun exercise. And I think it also helps contextualize the value of some of the players and some of the prospects, uh, at least in my eyes. But Peraza, Number 43 prospect in baseball for our top 100 list is someone that I think is good enough to be a headliner and a deal for a really good player. And I think I had Peraza, I had Austin Wells, Luis Medina, and Davey Garcia slash Luis Heal going over to the 
A's in that deal. And I honestly think that that is enough. Who's going to beat that package? But the crazy thing is, is that the Yankee system was no way in a position to be able to make a trade like that before this year. But they had so many prospects just absolutely rake this past season that their system got better despite them actually trading away prospects. And that's the craziest part about it. But Peraza is really another guy that just took it to another level last season. The Yankees have always liked Peraza's polish, and he was always a high floor prospect because of his glove. He can really pick it, but he's always gotten that advanced uh, assignment. He's been the youngest player or one of the younger players at each level he plays at and has held his own. But then in 2021, just absolutely took it to another level. The kid hit 18 homers, which is really impressive considering that he played across high A, double A, and triple A last year. The defense stayed as strong as ever, and we saw a really low strikeout rate right at around 20%. He also stole 38 bases, which is absurd, and I know generally I discount the stolen bases in the lower levels because of the weird rules last year, but he stole 20 of those bags, excuse me, 22 of those bags in the upper levels, double A AA and triple A, 22 of those 38 stolen bases came in double A and triple A, so those are real bags. He's really able to do that as well. So with the budding power now that we saw with 18 homers and still the speed to steal bags, good defense, actually plus defense, there is some really exciting components to this kid's game. And he'll be big league ready next year. He really should be big league ready next year. And the power should play up there at Yankee Stadium as well. Volpe's the better prospect probably, but Volpe's still pretty far off, at least in terms of his timeline. I think he's really polished and could climb quickly, but he's not going to be ready next year. I think that it's going to be closer to the beginning of 2023. I do think that if they wanted to be super aggressive, Volpe could get a look at the middle or the end of next season, depending on how he hits in double A. We still haven't really seen him hit in double A, so it's probably an aggressive assignment uh, to think that he could just quickly go through double A into the majors, especially when you have Peraza there. But they may decide, the Yankees, that they want to trade Peraza and Volpe will be worth waiting until the middle of the season, or they'll think that he can climb a bit quicker. But Peraza is only 21 years old, has that high floor with the glove, now is showing offensive potential that is really exciting, and the speed to make things work also. This is a really darn good shortstop that hit his way into AAA as a 21-year-old. Look out for Peraza. I'm interested to see if the Yankees give him a shot to crack the opening day roster. I've seen enough to say that I think he's worth an audition there. Uh, I know he only played eight games in AAA, but playing those 79 games in AA where he really held his own, I think this guy could be ready to go. Big fan of Oswald Peraza, and I'm interested to see if the Yankees decide to hold on to him or if they use him in a headliner for a deal because they don't want to part with Volpe or Dominguez. Personally, Volpe would be the only guy that I'm saying is untouchable in the system, but it will be hard for me to part with an Oswald Peraza after what he did last year, and he still has some room to grow physically as well. He's only six foot 165 and hitting for way more power than he ever did before, so really encouraging stuff over there. Coming up with our final prospect here on the top 10 shortstop prospects here, and then we'll do a little bit of an honorable mention nod also, is Orelvis Martinez of the Toronto Blue Jays. 
And Martinez had a really good year. I mean, a spectacular season, really, in low A and then finishing up in high A as a 19-year-old. But he also has some questions with his offensive approach that I'll get into. But let's talk about the numbers. I mean, the guy hit 28 bombs. uh, So there's no spinning that in any negative way. 28 bombs in 98 games is impressive by any stretch. And he still kept hitting them. And high A as well. I mean, the consistency definitely took a hit. He hit just 214, 282, 491 in high A, but still launched those nine homers. In low A, 19 homers, 279, 369, 572 slash line. So he definitely has power. I don't think there's any doubting that. And he gets into that power already pretty well given that he's only 19 years old. He still has a little bit of a defensive question as to whether he can stick at the position, but he has a good arm, and there's a shot he can stay at shortstop, but it's a little bit early there. I'm never going to move a guy away from shortstop at 19 years old or even about to turn 20 years old. We'll have to see a little bit more from Martinez before uh, I make that assumption, but he did make 20 errors in those 97 games, and I need to just see a little bit more of him in-game and just see the footwork and see the arm a bit more before I take a strong stance, but there's probably a pretty decent likelihood that he could move to third base. But let's talk about the offensive side of things, because that's where the value really is, and that's what everybody's really excited about with Orelvis Martinez. He's not a burner. He's more of a masher, and that's exactly what he did with the 28 homers. But getting into the approach, uh, or lack thereof, Martinez is as pull-happy as you're going to see. And I just don't know if that's going to be able to survive. That approach is going to be able to survive through the upper levels. He is a rotational hitter, which is fine. Uh, And he generates a ton of torque and a ton of power from that rotational kind of just twitchy athleticism that he is able to generate. I mean, that's why he generates so much power. But he really has only shown an ability to get into that power pull side. Most of his home runs were hugging the foul pole down the left field line. Did not show much of an ability to drive the ball to other fields. A pull rate that was right around 57%, 56-57%, which is extremely, extremely high. I mean, that's that's barely survivable, really. I talk about guys that have been able to have success pulling the ball that much at the major league level. Maybe only one or two occasions. It was like Brian Dozier, uh, and I forget who the other player was that had a 55 or higher percent pull rate and produced, you know, a good season uh, on a macro scale. And and Dozier tailed off pretty quickly as the league started to figure him out a bit more. So you got to be able to drive the ball to all fields. Also, because he is not able to stay back on lefties as much, and lefties were a, a big issue for him. If you're somebody that is quickly rotating and tends to fly open a bit early, it's not going to get exposed as much with hard-throwing right-handers because they tend to bore in on you anyways, whether it's intentional or not with the arm side run. With lefties, they're working away from you just by nature. That's what they do is they want to work away from you. Uh, most of them are you know, finesse pitchers that go with a changeup away from you and uh, maybe even a breaking ball on the outer half, and maybe then they'll try to surprise you and buzz you in with a fastball. So not surprising to me, that when when I watched his swing, I was like, let's see what these guys' splits are against lefties. I bet you he does not hit lefties well. And that's why I love to see the swing first before I go into looking at the numbers because I don't want to have confirmation bias. So I'm watching these at-bats and I'm watching more of him and I'm like, all right, now I'm going to go look at the splits. And 
look, I don't want him to be bad against lefties, but it is somewhat satisfying to see the takeaways kind of reinforced with the numbers. And unfortunately, the takeaway was reinforced with the numbers here. Again, it's still so early for him and he can easily work this out. Uh, but 192, 304, 385 slash line against left-handed pitching uh, last season. And it's pretty impressive that he was able to produce the numbers he did uh, despite hitting 192 against left-handers because he was just so ridiculous against right-handers, producing that 941 OPS against righties. And he just didn't see lefties quite as much as the normal distribution. Usually it's about one-third of the time you'll see a left-handed pitcher, and it was a little bit less than that for him. So he was able to avoid that and and still have the production survive. But he's going to have to be able to hit lefties. He's going to have to be able to stay back on change-ups to have success. And he j- hit just 111 last year against change-ups, despite seeing them about 11% of the time. And I'm sure that that scouting report is going to continue to grow and more and more pitchers are going to give him change-ups. Martinez needs to look to go the other way. He needs to let the ball travel a bit more. He's always trying to cheat out front and catch the ball in front of home plate uh, and go pull side. And you can do that in your 2-0 counts. I'm fine with that. Do that in your 2-0 counts. Let it eat. Uh, but when you're in the 1-2 counts or even the 1-1 counts, now you got to start looking to use the whole field. And that's not something he does yet uh, because he has hasn't really been exposed for not doing it yet. Uh, he started to get exposed a little bit in high A, but high A pitchers still make enough mistakes where you can hit your nine homers in 27 games if you're cheating out front and trying to catch things in front of the home in front of home plate uh, to yank one over the wall. I think that as, as he comes back next year, that's going to be something that pitchers attack. I know I would be telling my pitchers to absolutely attack the outer half with soft stuff and get him to roll over. If you look at the, uh, the spray chart on ground balls, all of the ground balls are just pounded into the ground third base side in the grass. And uh, that's something that I think is pretty easy to game plan for. The power, though, it's legit. He gets easy lift and backspin. And if he's able to use all fields, I mean, this is a guy that has the ability to be a really impressive bat. But with the defensive risk, uh, with the approach issues at this point, uh, he's borderline on the top 10. I think by the time I update our top 100 list, he could slide a little bit just because of the more data that I get into, uh, the more I see of him, I'm just a little bit skeptical of that approach translating into success uh, through the upper levels. And, and we'll have to see, but he could come out next year looking totally different. And that's the beautiful thing about the prospect world. And if he sees that, or if I see that, I'm going to adjust as such because you know he's still just 19 years old and and the prospect world is so fluid. I wanted to mention a couple you know, honorable mentions because that's always fun as well. And I'm sure there's a couple of people that are like, hey, why didn't this guy crack the list? And honestly, this guy right here of the Philadelphia Phillies is right there with Martinez. Not quite the upside, but locked to stay at shortstop, high floor bat, good athlete. Bryson Stott, despite being 24 years old, I think is a really exciting prospect. Put up phenomenal numbers last year through double A and triple A. I'll go through the numbers real quick. He slashed 299, 390, 486. While he's not going to hit for a ton of power, he hits for enough. 13% walk rate, 22% K rate, 
uh, hit the 16 home runs, swipe 10 bags. Speed's not a huge part of his game in the stolen base category, but you do see the speed, above average speed, start to make its way uh, into the equation when he's going first to third and, and doing things on the base paths. Just got better as the season went on, and I thought that was a really encouraging thing to see. Walks a good deal to always boost that on base percentage, and just a gamer out there, nice left-handed swing. Uh, in that mock trade article and in that episode of the Just Baseball show I was telling you about, I also did a trade sending Byron Buxton to the Phillies, which was a little bit messy because the Phillies system is not good, uh, but they do have a couple guys that I think could be enough to go get him. And I said, though, Bryson Stott's got to be untouchable for this Phillies team because you don't have a shortstop. I think Stott might be their starting shortstop next season. I know that they're paying D.D. Gregorius $14 million, I believe, but D.D.'s not good defensively. He can't really hit that frequently now anymore either. I would rather see Stott there uh, and D.D. just kind of wherever, whenever at this point. you got to kind of just take your losses there. Uh, I would rather see Stott, and I think he could actually give the team a bit more offensively and be a bit of a table setter at the front of the lineup because he gets on base so much, because he cuts the strikeouts or keeps them low, and he's got at least above average speed. It's going to be interesting to see how the Phillies use him. I don't think that he's going to be traded. I think they're more likely to trade Mick Abel uh, if Dombrowski wants to do the classic Dombrowski burn down the farm thing, but he doesn't have much of a farm to burn down. I think I said something along the lines of Mick Abel, Johan Rojas, uh, Casey Martin, and one more prospect to go get Byron Buxton. It's probably a little bit light, but I mean, the Twins only offered Byron Buxton $70 million. I don't know how big the market's going to be for somebody as injury-prone as Buxton is. He's a really difficult guy to gauge in terms of that value, but I also really like Johan Rojas, who I'll talk about when I go through uh, the Philly system, but I think he's closer to a top 100 prospect than a lot of people think. Stott is a really high-floor, exciting guy still that I think could play shortstop for them next year. I hope that is the case, uh, but we'll have to wait and see if he gets a crack right away would be a nice boost to this Phillies team that could use some more offensive consistency, especially with the struggles of Alec Bohm and uh, the injury last year to Reese Hoskins. We'll see how he comes back. One other little quick honorable mention, Gunnar Henderson and Austin Martin. I wanted to mention those two guys real quick because I think both of them are probably high risk to not stay at shortstop. Gunderson, Gunnar Henderson, Gunnarsson. Gunnar Henderson is probably going to move to third base, but again, he's young and has the athleticism to potentially stick there, and I'm never going to move a guy, but I am always going to acknowledge when they're not you know, a sure thing to stick there. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, such a cool name, but uh, man, I just stumbled on that one a little bit, huh? Uh, he has all of the offensive upside, and that's where the value is there. Uh, There's definitely a risk that he moves to third, and I think it's going to kind of be a competition defensively between him and Jordan Westberg to see who sports uh, more consistency with the glove. And with the way Henderson has continued to mature physically, it seems like third base could make more sense for his profile as well. Austin Martin, I really don't have as much confidence that he will stick at shortstop. He barely played shortstop in college. Uh, I haven't loved what I've seen from him in shortstop. I don't love the arm there. I think Martin profiles more as a center fielder and would be a pretty good center fielder with his above average speed. And I I could see him being a guy that takes good routes and uh, moves well. From what I've seen, he seems to do just that. And he's a quick learner uh, on that side of things. I just think with 
with shortstop, you need some natural uh, God-given ability, and uh, he just doesn't quite have that arm strength, I think, to carry the position, but he could play there in a pinch and could also play second base as well, uh, no problem. That'll do it for this episode. If you could take a moment to leave a rating, I would really appreciate it as it helps grow this podcast and grow the show, and I also love to hear the feedback from you all, uh, so ratings are appreciated. Please let me know if there's anything you want me to talk about. I always enjoy getting the DMs from you all. Uh, my DMs are open to you at rmlatenate on Twitter, always willing to answer any prospect questions. Uh, thank you to those who have reached out and told me you enjoy the show. It does mean a ton and, and kind of lights a fire under me and gets me excited to do this uh, every single day. So thank you for that as well. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you on Monday.